Uh, I should introduce myself. My name is Abe. I have the joy and the pleasure of serving as one of the pastors here at Sunset Church. Uh, and over the next few weeks, um, as we approach Christmas, we're going to be, the pastors decided, you know what, a good topic for us to focus on for this Advent season is going to be joy. Let's talk about joy. So Pastor Joy, he kicked it off last week. Uh, he reminded us that happiness, it might be driven by our circumstances, but joy, joy is a commandment, is a commandment from God. Uh, and, and in other words, another way to look at it, my happiness is it can be impacted by, by what's going on, by my circumstances, but joy, but my joy, this commandment that we are called to obey as Christians, joy is based on who God is. And so this gospel-fueled joy, it, it can be sparked by, by fellowship. Uh, it, is, it overflows in praise and is centered on God's character. This is just a really high-level overview of what Pastor Joy shared last week. Um, if you missed it, I think it's worth checking out. You have a podcast, we have a Vimeo channel, we have a YouTube channel, everything is available. Uh, it was a really good message last week. Uh, just as an FYI, next week, uh, Pastor Gabriel, or as many know him, uncle, uh, uh, he'll be sharing about how we find our joy in suffering. <clears throat> and then Pastor Joy, he'll be back on stage uh, the Sunday before Christmas, and he'll be wrapping up this Advent sermon series on joy. But today, what I want to do is I want to take a moment to consider how joy and how serving, how these two things are tied together from a biblical perspective. Um, now, for those of you who, who are not familiar with my journey to becoming a pastor here at Sunset, I'll tell you, it's a, it's a little bit of a unique uh, it's unique. I started my professional career as a social worker and as a therapist back in Chicago, back in the 1900s. Uh, and then we moved to California and I was working in Silicon Valley uh, in the tech industry in the 2000s, right? Um, recently, five years ago, my job took me back to Chicago um, and with me and my wife, we were there uh, in tech. And because God has such an, I think, an amazing sense of humor, uh, he ended up making me a bivocational pastor for a small church in Chicago called Church of the Beloved. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, bivocational pastor, basically a bivocational pastor, or also known as a co-vocational pastor, is a person who has a full-time paying job, that's the tech job I had, and it allows me to do you know, my passion, which is a full-time non-paying job uh, in ministry. So when I was doing this, being bivocational at the start, it wasn't so bad. It wasn't too bad at all because I was one pastor among six pastors, right? And we had three campuses. Uh, mine was the smallest one. We had a team of elders. We had support staff all over the place. We had a few hundred congregants throughout the city of Chicago. But then as you all know, the world imploded. Uh, and Beloved went from three campuses to one campus went from over 15, 10, 15 staff to just one staff person, and from six pastors to just me and no elders. And I mention all this because the very first sermon series that I ever had to do by myself on my own was on Philippians. Because that letter is all about joy, and, and joy was something that our congregation and that I really, really needed with all the trauma, the drama, the hurt, everything that the church had gone through at that time. 
So as I was sitting down and starting to pray about and prepare for today's message, my mind and my Bible just kept opening up to this letter from Paul, this book of joy. Because this letter to the church in Philippi, it's just, it oozes with joy. Because it, it, it's Paul's joyful response to the love, to the gift to, that the church has sent to him through this guy named Epaphroditus. You can feel that joy. It, it, and let me just read the first uh, verses three to eight. You can feel the joy that Paul has in this letter. He says this. It says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it's right for me to think this way because about all of you, because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in Greece, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So, Philippians, um, this is my go-to letter. This is my go-to book when I want to dive deeper into understanding how we are called to strive to obey God's command to have joy. That's where I go to. And today what I want to do is I want to use this letter to consider the link between our command to have joy and our call to serve, to, to give. And we want to see how the church in Philippi did that, how they served and cared for Paul, and in that found joy. And the very first thing I want to do, well, the first thing I want to consider from the passage that was read today, this link between joy and serving, is consider this, how we are to receive, how we're to accept service from other folks. And if you look at verse 10, you'll see here that Paul is joyfully thanking the Philippians for their, for their support. And, and, and here Paul shares with the church that he has joy. He is so overjoyed because they're caring for him, because they're serving him by sending him financial support. They're sending him relational support by uh, sending Epaphroditus over. And he says in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Now, to clarify something, I, have, you, have you ever received uh, a, a, a backhanded compliment um something like wow you look great from far away or congratulations i didn't think you could do it uh i think the best example and for those of you who are lord of the rings fans the best example of a backhanded compliment for, is from bilbo baggins uh, and i'm gonna read it because i can never remember exactly how he says it but he says i don't know half of you have as much as i should like and i like less than half of you half as well as you deserve if you actually get it, then you understand what a backhanded compliment is. Basically, it sounds like it should be a compliment, but it turns out it isn't. And I mentioned this because Paul's realizing as he writes this out, this verse 10, that his comment could be received as a backhanded compliment. And he says, I'm so glad because now you're worried about me. You know? I rejoice in the Lord greatly because you've revived your concern now because you know, you, it seemed like you stopped caring for a minute. But Paul really is rejoicing. He's really 
grateful. He, he's not trying to use subterfuge. There's no hidden meaning behind his comment. So out of wisdom, Paul decides to take time to clarify, to provide some clarity. So if you read the second half of verse 10, it says, you were indeed concerned for me, but, but you had no opportunity. See, Paul understood. He got that the Philippians, they had compassion for him, but at the time, they just had no way to exercise and show that compassion initially. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, Paul talks about the same situation. In chapter 8, verse 12, it says, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Because Paul fully understood that the eagerness, it was there in Philippi. They, they absolutely wanted to, but the, the means were not. So the very first point I want to focus on when it comes to understanding joy, understanding service and joy and that collaboration between the two is how, when we, how we should show our joy when we're being served. And we show our joy when we're being served by not making it about me, but making it about others. See, here's the thing. We as Christians, we want to be transformed by the gospel. And, and gospel transformation, it allows us to experience the joy of God's perfect faithfulness, right? And, and in that joy oftentimes is expressed by the love and the support and the care and the service of our sisters and our brothers in Christ in our lives. So because of that, part of our gospel transformation, it has to, it absolutely must include living as if others are more significant. So we show our joy by make, not making it about me, making that service about others. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So living gospel-transformed lives, it includes taking our wisdom learned, taking our discernment gained through experiences, taking all of that and allowing that to influence how we talk and how we act. In other words, it's, I cannot just consider my feelings in this. I have to consider how the things that I do and how the things that I say might be understood and received by the folks around me. I need to think through how my words and how my actions might be perceived by those who are receiving them. And in Paul's maturity, he realized that the folks who are reading his letter, they might not get it. They might not realize he, he actually is trying to thank them. Paul realized that the readers of his letter might think that he, he was annoyed. That they might think that he was thinking, what took you so long? So he took the time to be as clear as possible in this passage. And the thing is, he didn't only worry that people might misunderstand and think he was annoyed. He also worried about uh, what people thought his motivation was. If you look at verse 11, it continues on and says, uh, not that I am speaking of being in need. See, Paul didn't want the readers of his letter to think that his rejoicing was based on like materialism. He, it wasn't because he was in need that he rejoiced. It wasn't a love of money. It wasn't a love of things that drove him. 
Paul wants to, if you look at verse 17, he says it very clearly. He never sought for, he never asked for this gift that the church sent to him. His motivation was not in the material. His motivation has always been in the ethereal. His hope was not in cash. His hope was in Christ. His source of joy, his source of contentment, it was in his faith, in his love for Jesus. Paul considered with care the words that he used to thank the Philippians. And so he wanted to take with care time to clarify his words. One of the hardest things for me personally, um, and I don't know if this is true for some of you, is to accept gifts from other people, whether it's gifts of encouragement or actual physical gifts. I love usually to give them, but receiving them is much harder for me. You know, you probably experienced this when you're out to dinner or at lunch and somebody else tries to pay the check for the meal. You know, you do the whole fight for the check thing. I mean, and when I would do this with Suzette, you know, we would, not the fake fighting where you're trying to go really slowly to pull out your wallet. The real fighting where I would show up at a restaurant an hour beforehand and talk to the host or hostess and give them my credit card so that the other person didn't even have a chance to try to pay for the meal. That level of inaccept, I cannot accept gifts. That's how I used to be. Um, when I was serving as a pastor in Chicago, though, it was, a, it was rough. There's a lot of things that are going on there. But Suzette and I, we truly love being part of that community. And we honestly rejoiced at how God used us to help that church heal, help that church start to grow again. Now, after a number of years of serving in that uh, as a leader there, um, serving Church of the Beloved, we were about to transition me out of the senior pastor role because I was serving as the interim senior pastor at the time. Um, I was going to transition out. We brought on a new senior pastor. And so my day job, it was starting to get really, really heavy. And so it was impossible for me to continue to have basically two full-time jobs. So the idea was to have a new full-time senior pastor and I would transition into a just a pastor role, which is whatever. Um, but Cesar and I, we ended up scheduling an Africa ministry update because uh, they also partner with us in Africa. Uh, we happened to schedule one right after my last service, uh, my last sermon as the interim senior pastor. It wasn't my last sermon. It was just my last sermon as that role. Um, so, you know, we're hanging out outside, mingling, and then we're walking in to the auditorium. And there were a lot more people in the room than I expected um, uh, for, to receive this update. I was like, okay, wow, that's awesome. Uh, uh, then I noticed that that one other staff person that I mentioned before that stuck around, her name's uh, Yuji. She started walking up towards me, holding a microphone and holding a box. And like I said, accepting gifts, it's rough. It's hard for me to do. And I, as she was walking up, holding this box, I had a moment of crisis. Um, there was a part of me. Uh, see, Church of the Beloved, they went through some rough stuff. They had church leaders who had been accused of spiritual abuse, had manipulated and made things uh, really difficult there. And so there was a part of me that was thinking, did I, did I unintentionally make the folks of that church think that I was expecting something, that I needed to get a gift, that I needed to be appreciated? Did I, did I broadcast that assumption in some way? Because again, Suzette and I, our decision, our desire to serve that church was truly out of a love for our sisters and our brothers there, not out of a presumption of payment or anything like that. So in my head, as I'm going through this crisis, 
of thought, I was thinking, I can't accept this gift. I don't know what it is, but I cannot accept it. And then I took a breath. And I put myself in the congregation's shoes. And I realized, you know what? They're just trying to say thanks. They're just trying to be grateful. And I realized, you know, there was no hidden meeting. There was no secret agenda behind the gift. It was just a gift. Paul says it, and I want to just repeat it for myself. I did not seek that gift. That was not my desire. But I can rejoice and absolutely seek out the profit, the increase to their heavenly account that is given to them by me accepting this gift. So my job, I realized at that point, was simply to say thank you, thank th to thank them well for blessing me with, uh, so that the church might also be blessed, that they might find joy in the opportunity to support me in this little way, that they might increase their account in heaven. See, thankfully, it was also it was a very good gift. Um, it's, uh, it was these Uggs, so, uh, which I love. I wear them all the time. Uh, it's, uh, the first thing I want us to think about is this. Uh, it's the first, first point. Something that we need to understand when it comes to joy in serving. We need to understand how to appreciate the gifts that are given by those around us. See, gospel transformed joy, it uses wisdom when saying thank you. All right, that's the first one. The second point is this. It's based on verses 14 and, verse, uh, and 18. Verse 14 says this. Paul says, it was kind of you to share my trouble, right? And in verse 18, it says, Paul, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So the second point that I want to focus on right now is this. We need to serve and we need to be served. I'll tell you, in my short time living on this planet, you know, 50 years, I've noticed that there are folks who kind of sit all over the spectrum when it comes to serving. At one end of the spectrum, you have folks who love to serve but have no ability to accept being served, accepting help. At the other end of the spectrum, you have people who love to be served and have no capacity to serve others and to help. Now, I'll talk to the first group here. The first group, the ones of you who love to be served but cannot accept being served, thank you. Thank you so much for your gracious heart. Thank you for your desire to always support others. It's awesome. It's amazing. But I'm going to ask you, chill out a little bit. Please allow others to find their joy by serving you because there's nothing that you will ever be thankful for if you never allow others to love you, to support you, to do for you as you do for them. I'll tell you, Suzette and I, we love hosting people in our home, right? Um, and in the very beginning, even though we love to do it, we would get stressed out by it, right? Because there's so much that needs to be done uh, and cooking and all that kind of stuff. And folks would show up. Sometimes they show up early and they would ask the inevitable question, how can we help? And Suzette and I, we always used to say, oh, no, no, just sit down, relax, enjoy yourself, have a drink. Uh, and, and then slowly and surely we'd get more stressed out. And by the end of the evening, I would have to deal with the aftermath after everyone left. And I never wanted to do that again. Um, I don't know when it happened, though. Uh, but we both came to a realization that when someone asks to help, we should not automatically say no. 
Because here's the thing, basically by saying no, it is, it's the equivalent of me saying this, you are not good enough. You are not talented enough. You are not smart enough to do this thing that I'm doing. So, so just don't worry your pretty little head, just relax. So now I'll tell you this, if you come over and offer to help, I'm putting you to work. Don't worry about it. We'll find something. Now for the folks on the other end of the spectrum, those of you who love to be served and don't necessarily serve yourselves, thank you. Thank you for making yourself available to receive that uh, service, to, to allow others to feel the joy of serving you. But I'm going to ask you, stop being so chill, all right? Because Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, it says this, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things. Practice is not passive. It's active. Paul's telling us, get in there, get dirty, do as he does. That might mean for you here, coming early, helping set up the coffee machine, welcoming people in, creating an environment to say, hey, you're part of our family. It might mean giving up one night a week to live life with our junior high, high school, college students. It might mean committing one Sunday a month to going to the Tenderloin, encouraging the residents uh, of the SRO there with our adopt-a-building ministry. It might mean actively committing to praying regularly, giving financially in support of our, uh, our partners like the Alpha Pregnancy Center or Hands at Work and the work they're doing with the vulnerable in Zambia. It might mean going this weekend, hanging out with Joey and with Lucy. Is Lucy here? I can't tell. Hanging out with Lucy as they spend time at the Ivy Senior Home. Practice these things. See, Paul, he rejoiced. Paul found joy in the exhibition and in the evidence of love that he received from his sisters and his brothers in Philippi. And he also found joy in serving them as well, right? In Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, Paul writes, that through all his labor, through all his effort, he says this, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you. Rejoice with you all. See, Paul found joy in serving and Paul found joy in being served. That's the second thing. The first one, again, Paul understood how to use his wisdom. Paul understood how to use discernment to express his gratefulness and his thankfulness. Right? That was the first one. Those are the two observations that I, I wanted to share with y'all when it comes to understanding joy and serving. Um, my time is actually about, I, I think I'm almost up. Joy might disagree. He might think we have 10 more minutes. No, I, I want to keep it short. But I want to share one more thing. Just one quick one. It's based on verse 17. In verse 17, it says this. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And so if you'll indulge me, I just want to spend a moment to focus on two words in that passage. I want to focus on the words fruit, and I want to focus on the word credit. 
See, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 17 to 20, says this. Jesus said that every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased fruit, a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Pretty straightforward. So the fruit we bear indicates what type of tree, where our roots are, where we come from, whether we're good or evil, where we're coming from God or from Satan. So Paul, when he's writing, I seek the fruit, he's saying that he wants the fruit of our lives to show that we are born of Christ. So Paul's desire is that the fruit we produce be those of the Holy Spirit. The fruit be love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control and not being conceited and not provoking one another and not envying each other. The fruit that shows that we are of Christ, that fruit are the things that glorify God. Those are the fruit that bring others to glorify God. So the gift that the Philippians provided to Paul, the financial, the emotional, the relational support that the church provided to their friend, I don't think it was so much about the gift itself. Honestly, I think it was more about how it demonstrated the character and the nature of the givers. It showed their fruit. It showed their kindness. It showed their goodness. It showed their selflessness. It showed their generosity. It showed their joy. So Paul sought this fruit for his beloved friends. I'll tell you, I seek this fruit for my family here as well. And Paul also sought this fruit so that it would increase their credit. All right, that's the second word. Now, I'll tell you, every once in a while, there's a concept that I've come across, a biblical concept that kind of catches me off guard because I'll be honest, it, can, it feels wrong to be, it's kinda, it feels a little dirty. Uh, it feels a little dirty to say that I want to bear fruit so that I can get something. It, it seems kind of selfish to self-center, to serve others so that I can get something out of it, to, to, to love others so that I can get points in heaven, right? Uh, someone call it Jesus bucks. I grew up thinking that being a Christian was all about sacrifice, right? Uh, John chapter 15, verse 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Sacrifice to death. Mark chapter 10, verse 44 says, whoever will be the first among you must be slave of all. Sacrifice. Being a Christian, I grew up thinking is all about just sacrifice. Now, I want to be very clear. Our redemption and our salvation, it is not based on our actions, our acts of service, or our acts of love towards our sisters and our brothers. Our redemption and our salvation, it is holy and it is fully dependent on God's mercy and on God's grace. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. But the free gift from God, it is eternal life in Jesus Christ and that free gift of justification from our brokenness, it is based 100% on God's grace alone. God chose you, God chose me to be a holy nation, set apart. That's, there's absolutely nothing that I can or I could have done to earn that status as a beloved, redeemed 
child of our Almighty God. Yet, Jesus also tells us this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust, moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Treasures. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul reminds us that, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There's another passage in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 8. It says that whatever good anyone does, we're going to get it back from God. And I said, it feels, if, and I say feel, it feels kind of wrong to think that, you know, we could be motivated. Our motivation to do good is going to be based on a reward system, by points, by Jesus bucks. It seems kind of self-centered but it's not. It's biblical. It's God's design for us to be motivated to show our spiritual fruit, to show our love to the body of Christ. And it's okay to want to receive what is due for what we have done for our sisters and our brothers, for, our commu- for his church. It is okay because gospel transform motivation, it does not seek treasures just for me. Here's the thing. Gospel transform motivation wants everyone to receive this reward. A heavenly motivation wants all of my sisters and my brothers to receive those treasures in heaven. A Christ-centered motivation to do good works for our sisters and our brothers, it wants the entire body to rejoice, to have joy, to find a joy in Christ. So here's my ask. To express the joy of our redemption because of God's faithfulness, do it by serving our family in Christ. By by receiving the service of our family in Christ, by wisely appreciating our family in Christ, and by seeking and by giving spiritual fruit that will bring our family in Christ each our due, our treasure, in heaven. That's how I think joy and serving live together from a biblical perspective. Let's pray together as the band comes up. Let's pray. Precious God, Almighty Father in heaven, you have commanded of us to have joy. And the joy that you command of us comes from you. So this command is for us to accept the joy that you provide. Thank you. Thank you for making it so easy. Lord God, we understand that part of our joy in you comes from understanding how to live our lives in love with our family here in Christ, to serve and to be served, to serve and to receive the gift of service from each of us. So I call on this church, I call on Sunset to serve. I call on Sunset to be served. Near your son Christ, I pray. Amen.